Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Tragedy at a 4th of July celebration in Illinois today. A gunman opened fire during a parade, killing at least six people. Last night's protests in Akron reportedly became violent. Akron's mayor has declared a state of emergency and taken other actions to prevent further violence downtown. After a flurry of Supreme Court decisions, New York Democrats and Governor Kathy Hochul made some changes to New York's gun laws. But could they take away some of our freedom? Abortion in the case of rape, some say exceptions should be made. One governor doesn't agree, saying that an abortion wouldn't make the situation better, but worse. One more state is planning to require voters to show photo ID to vote. And while the state's governor says the law makes it easy to vote and harder to cheat, others say it's racist. A fan at an international basketball game in Australia was prohibited from displaying a Taiwan flag. Find out who is behind the decision and why. At least six people were killed and 31 hospitalized after a shooter opened fire on a 4th of July parade in a Chicago suburb. Authorities say they've identified a person of interest, 22-year-old Robert E. Cremo III. He's believed to be driving a 2010 Silver Honda Fit. Our team was there on the ground, and here's what they learned. Law enforcement says a gunman began shooting at the 4th of July parade in downtown Highland Park, Illinois, Monday morning around 10. Police said they recovered a rifle from the scene and the suspect appears to have fired from a roof and acted alone. According to authorities, the shooting took place around 20 minutes after the parade started. Police warned that the suspect could still be armed and dangerous. What we know at this time is this is an active situation and we urge everyone to remain indoors and be on high alert but remain calm. The Lake County Sheriff's Office said five people died at the scene and one died after being transported to the hospital. A number of people who are currently hospitalized are in critical condition. A witness told NTD what it was like when the shooting broke out. From the back of the band, I thought what I heard was maybe an old-fashioned car backfiring like they have in parades sometimes. Uh, and uh, after it happened so many times, I realized that it wasn't a uh, car misfiring. And then, and then it got to be uh, sounding like more and more shots, and they just kept on coming. There were, there were a lot of rounds fired. Another witness also told CNN that people didn't expect the sound to be gunshots. Highland Park is a suburb around 25 miles north of Chicago. Illinois Governor J.P. Pritzker tweeted, We have made all state resources available to the community. We will continue working with local officials to help those affected. Authorities called this a random act of violence. They are asking for tips in searching for the suspect and video footage of the shooting. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Police in Akron, Ohio have released body cam footage of the fatal shooting of 25-year-old Jalen Walker. Eight officers were involved, and the victim is believed to have been shot multiple times. The shooting sparked Black Lives Matter protests on Sunday. Just a warning, the following footage is graphic. Last week, police in Akron, Ohio wanted to stop 25-year-old Jalen Walker for a minor traffic violation. He fled the scene by car before trying to escape on foot, which was when officers fatally shot him. There's no doubt that the video you just watched uh, is extremely disturbing and will stir a lot of emotions and feeling. It's shocking and hard to take in. 
The police department justified the officer's use of their firearms by showing body cam footage of an officer trying to stop Walker with a taser, which was unsuccessful. 21 shots fired, that vehicle just had a shot come out of its door. Police also point to what appears to be a flash of light on the driver's side of Walker's car in the video, which they said is a muzzle flash. Police says a bullet casing was later found at the spot where they say Walker fired a shot from the car. Police did find this handgun and loaded magazine on the driver's seat of the car after Walker was shot. Officers say as Walker was running away, he stopped and quickly turned towards the pursuing officers. They say they thought he was moving into a firing position. But an attorney for the victim's family points to the fact that Walker didn't flee with the gun. At the time he was shot, more than 90 or 60 or whatever the unbelievable number will be, he was unarmed. On Sunday afternoon, people protested at City Hall in Akron. Demonstrators marched in the streets waving Black Lives Matter flags and chanting, We are done dying and justice for Jalen. The eight officers directly involved in the shooting have been placed on paid administrative leave. They have not made any individual statements. Ohio's Bureau of Criminal Investigation is conducting a probe of the shooting and has not confirmed any details. The protests for Jalen Walker became violent last night. According to the Akron Beacon Journal, protesters threw objects at the Harold K. Stubbs Justice Center and broke the windows of snowplows the city had parked to block off the street. The protesters also reportedly threw smoke bombs into the streets and set two dumpsters on fire. In response, Akron Mayor Dan Horrigan declared a state of emergency and implemented a curfew. It will remain in place for downtown Akron between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m. until further notice. The mayor also canceled the city's fireworks show tonight and shut down Akron Fulton Airport. And in Udvalde, Texas, the head of the school police force quit his city council seat. He's been the target of criticism over his response to the mass shooting at Robb Elementary School. Here's more. At approximately 11.32 a.m. this morning, there was a mass casualty incident at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. This is Pete Arredondo, the chief of the Uvalde School Police Force in May when a gunman attacked Robb Elementary School and slaughtered 19 children and two teachers. And on Saturday, the Uvalde government released a letter from Arredondo resigning his seat on the city council. His resignation comes amid criticism over his response to the school massacre. At a state Senate hearing last month, the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety blasted Arredondo for his decisions that day. Stephen McCraw of DPS said despite the presence of 19 cops on the scene soon after the attack, Arredondo chose to wait for more officers and equipment rather than engage the gunman. The officers waited for more than an hour before a U.S. Border Patrol tactical team entered the room and shot dead the 18-year-old suspect. A state official said last month that police wasted time searching for a key to the classroom door, which was not locked. Arredondo has said he never considered himself incident commander and that he did not order police to hold back on breaching the building. The city's school district last month placed him on administrative leave from his duties as police chief. Arredondo said in the letter he was stepping down, quote, to minimize further distractions in Uvalde. His resignation plans were first reported by the Uvalde Leader News. Uvalde's government said in a statement that resigning was, quote, the right thing to do for Arredondo. In response to a Supreme Court ruling that blocks New York from denying ordinary citizens the right to carry firearms, Democrat lawmakers have found another way to restrict gun carry. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. It's a huge victory for the lawful gun owners of New York State. 
In an interview with Reuters, the president of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association applauded the Supreme Court for loosening restrictions on carrying guns. But New York Democrats and Governor Kathy Hochul are fighting back. We're not going backwards. They may think they can change our lives with the stroke of a pen, but we have pens too. Give out a lot of pens. The House will come to order. Democrat lawmakers advanced a bill that would force gun applicants to turn over their social media accounts. One of those tools now in our toolbox is to be able to examine social media in terms of ide simply identifying uh, whether or not this is an individual who appears to have been, you know, absorbing this content. Applicants may soon have to provide a list of former and current social media accounts from the past three years. New York GOP Chairman Nick Langworthy said in a statement, New Yorkers' constitutional freedoms were just trampled on. The executive director of the New York State Firearms Association told media outlets this will never survive a court challenge. Meanwhile, a new law prohibits concealed guns in many public places. Schools, summer camps, libraries, daycares, parks, and playgrounds, places children gather, theaters, museums, entertainment venues. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And now to the issue of abortion. Abortion supporters sometimes argue that abortions should be legal if a woman gets raped so that she won't have to deliver the child. One governor doesn't agree, saying that an abortion wouldn't make the situation better, but worse. Republican governor of South Dakota, Kristi Noem, was asked about the case of a pregnant 10-year-old girl on Sunday. The story was first reported by the Indianapolis Star. The young girl reportedly traveled from Ohio to Indiana to get an abortion after being pregnant for over six weeks. Abortions after six weeks are illegal in the state of Ohio. In Governor Nome's state of South Dakota, abortions are now completely illegal except when the mother's life is at risk because of the pregnancy. The governor says the girl was raped, which is already a tragedy, and that she wouldn't add another tragedy to that. I don't believe a tragic situation should be perpetuated by another tragedy. And so there's more that we've got to do to make sure that we really are living a life that says every life is precious, especially innocent lives that have been shattered like that 10-year-old girl. The Indianapolis Star article didn't identify or mention a rapist. NTD contacted the authors of the article to verify whether the girl was raped, but didn't hear back before broadcast. Governor Nome says although she doesn't support abortions, mothers involved in unplanned pregnancies should get the help they need. We need to do a better job of supporting them. I launched a website called life.sd.gov that makes those connections, helps with medical care, financial services, uh, connects them to nonprofits or even adoptive parents that may choose to parent their child if that's the choice that they make. When asked whether she would support paid family leave in South Dakota, the governor didn't give a definite answer, but said she thinks the time is right. And in election news, Missouri Governor Mike Parson signed a bill on Wednesday that requires voters to show a photo ID. He says it will make it easier to vote and harder to cheat, while others call voter ID laws racist. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Voters in the Show Me State will soon hear poll workers say, show me your ID to vote. On Wednesday, Missouri became the latest state to pass new voting laws when Governor Mike Parson signed House Bill 1878. The new law requires voters to show a photo ID to vote and also bans ballot drop boxes. 
Some say the move is racist and restricts access to the polls. Georgia met with similar opposition last year when it passed a law requiring mail-in ballots to include ID numbers. I have met with voters in Georgia. I have heard your outrage about the anti-voter law here and how many voters will likely be kept from voting. But as it turned out, early voting in Georgia's primary more than doubled the amount in 2020. Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft rejected claims that the photo ID mandate harms minority voters, saying, it seems pretty racist to me to say that the color of skin determines whether or not someone knows how to get an ID. The law will take effect on August 28, 2022. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, a 4th of July celebration in the heart of the nation today fills the streets with performers and a crowd stretching for a mile. Some of those attending tell us what it means to them to celebrate America. And we look at a business in New York that sells products that are 100% made in the U.S. Even the packaging is produced in America. That and more after the break. Thousands are in the nation's capital tonight to celebrate the birth of American independence. Many are now waiting to see the fireworks show after watching a parade march down Constitution Avenue earlier today. NTD's Melina Wisecup brings us the details. Um, I love uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Um, here is quite wonderful and you shouldn't take it for granted. Costella is a new U.S. citizen celebrating alongside others who want to remind everyone to cherish the opportunity to live in the land of freedom. The situation around the world has changed drastically and sometimes when we're in the U.S. we don't appreciate the freedoms that we have. Freedom of expression, uh, tolerance, respect, um, the right to prosper. The crowd gathered along Constitution Avenue to enjoy the festivities, floats, bands and dancers. It's called America's biggest and best Independence Day Parade. This parade in the heart of the nation has gathered folks from all across the state and all across the world. We asked people in the crowd what it means in this day and age to be a proud American. People having a thought or an idea and taking action on that um, and, you know, fighting for freedom. To be an American, it's to have freedom and independence, and I'm excited to share that with my kids. Of all places, Washington, D.C. is where to tap into the pulse of the country and the history of our founding story and our traditions, traditions that many say we should get back to. Getting back to God and, and, and serving him. I feel like this country has, has walked away from him and turned their back on him, and we should love each other and, and welcome each other, and, and I feel like this country has been filled full of hatred for so long against each other. I feel like we just need to come back together and, and be one again. Others sharing a similar message say American values are based on our differences being respectfully embraced. We have to be reminded of what unites us, not necessarily of what divides us. If we keep going to the extremes, that's not what we're about. And I think that's what's caused the divisiveness. About not letting the individualities, the differences, the, the, the differences in culture and color and race and ethnicity divide us, but let us be a reason for us all to come to the table and talk to one another because they can be embraced even if we don't agree. 
This inspirational message is spread tonight across the nation as people gather to commemorate the day our country was born. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Among those celebrating America's values at the D.C. Independence Day Parade, one group is highlighting the importance of religious freedom and freedom of speech. NTD's Iris Tao has their story. Here in Washington, D.C., in one of America's largest Independence Day parades, a marching band with traditional Chinese costumes and a float with peaceful music, celebrating America's founding principles of freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Unfortunately, in China today, thousands of practitioners have lost their lives simply for believing in their freedom. And um, we're extremely lucky to be in this democratic American society to be able to spread the beauty of the Dafa and the peacefulness of our practice. The Tianguo Marching Band has members from all walks of life, and they're all practitioners of Falun Dafa, or Falun Gong, a traditional Chinese meditation practice based on the values of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Yet it's severely persecuted in China by the Chinese Communist Party due to the practice's spiritual nature and popularity. I asked one of them about what they cherish the most on American soil. I think definitely the freedom of religion, freedom of belief, and be able to really uh, speak what we want to, especially given the current environment that's in China. And what is one message you want to get through through your music? Um, I want to say that Fallen Dafa is a very wonderful practice and we hope to be able to share the beauty of and joy. And besides those who have long cherished and enjoyed the freedoms here, this Falun Gong practitioner just fled the persecution in China and came to the U.S. three months ago. The United States is, a, is for freedom and the symbol for freedom for all over the world and I just want to tell the free world about the truth, uh, how CCP persecutes all good people. And the audience sharing with us their thoughts on the band and the story behind it. We take for granted for what we have here in America and for them to go through what they've gone through and come here, that's something that I would never ever understand. And so for them to come and do that, it I applaud them to wholeheartedly. Our independence is yes. amazing. Yes. You know, there's a lot of energy, a lot of their emotion is produced, is, is put in a positive uh, fashion. So whatever negativity they've experienced, they're moving toward a positive one, which is great for society all of us there's a lot of different nationalities here and we're all the same so bravo for them awesome reporting washington dc iris tau ntd news as americans celebrate the nation's birthday we take a look at a store that celebrates american-made products at the made in america store every single thing is completely manufactured in the u.s and here to talk to ntd's don ma is its founder and owner and here with us is Mark Andel. He's the founder and owner of the Made in America store. Everything in the store is 100% Made in America, even down to the packaging. Mark, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for having us. So how's business these days, especially around 4th of July? Yeah, 4th of July is always good. It's America's birthday, and we've been doing good. We've got a lot of things we're facing uh, you know, with rapid inflation, product shortage, and worker shortage. But now with the pandemic, we're two years out of the you know, going through the pandemic and things are very tough, probably the toughest years I've had in business. So our, our mission uh, is to create and save quality livelihoods in the United States of America by increasing American manufacturing. I think it's stronger than ever. It makes more sense. We need more common sense. 
But I think our vendors are doing very well. They've got the demand they wanted because the pandemic, Don, showed us that we didn't even make PPP products or masks and certain things that, you know, a country, I believe in supporting a country of living 50-50 fair trade, Don. What motivated you to start the store? What was the biggest reason factors? Yeah, well, my main companies, uh, General Welding and Fabricating, uh, we're a manufacturer welding fabrication house. And back in uh, 07, 08, 09, the recession, we lost half our business to China. I had 70 employees. Uh, of the 70 employees, 18 family members, three guys I went to kindergarten with. I had to lay off 40 employees. And they were a lot of the ones that believed in me. And it forced me to really take a look at what we make in America uh, anymore. And uh, it, it wasn't much. So I, I, I kind of made a task. Our concept and core value was to make things, you know, to sell things 100% made in America. Now, I believe you've opened the store for 12 years now. What, what kind of products do you have? How many and how many businesses have you worked with or supported? Yeah, we opened April 3rd, 2010. We're up to 10,000 products. Uh, we support 500 privately owned American businesses, but we don't have one thing that uh, plugs in or is electronic. And I always joke, we've been to the moon, but we can't make a toaster no more. What would you say for, to those who argue uh, you could sell your products for cheaper, you know, if you just uh, imported made in China products? Yeah, you know, I, I, but again, I believe in supporting the country. We, we supply the customer of the world and China is the factory of the world, if you would. But we, uh, we believe in selling quality products and we believe we've got to get back there. Uh, the middle class is very important and I think the middle class has been hit. I think supporting skilled trades is important. Uh, kids, our students, our schools need to get metal shops and wood shops back in these uh, schools. Because we need skilled workers right now, Don. There isn't many. And I support entrepreneurs and inventors with my store. Um, you know, every house should have a garage, I believe in, because that's where I started. And making things is not only cool and neat, but supporting the country you live in is very important. And right now, it's more important than ever. I think Made in America would bring back a lot of unite people again, allow them to make their own money. And, uh, you know, we believe in working hard in that American can-do spirit. Now, Mark, how do you convince someone to buy American if it's more expensive, especially when inflation's so high? Yeah, it's tough, but a lot of the myth was that a lot of made in America products are more expensive than the other foreign products, but it's just not true. Our profit margins may be smaller, but our companies are getting a lot of demand because, Don, we don't need shipping containers. Throughout this pandemic, you heard about shipping containers being held. I joked, we don't need shipping containers at the Made in America store. Logistically, it's smart to make things in your own country. And I think that's coming true. But, you know, again, we push quality and we push and kind of explain, you know, when you make a purchase, vote with your dollar, you're actually creating a job for your neighbor by what you buy. I think we all have to make Made in America important again. And why do you think it's important? We talk about jobs and, and the economy, but to you, what is the most important reason for supporting Made in America? Yeah, Made in America does a lot. It brings people together, but it allows people to make a living and earn a dollar yourself. I'm all about livelihoods, Don. To be able to earn your own dollar and uh, earn your own way, that's the American dream. Um, and I think, you know, it was lost. We took our eye off the ball. But right now, we've got to get back to making things in our country. And I think it'll take care of a lot of problems in this country by keeping people working, giving them opportunity and purpose. Mark Andel, founder and owner of the Made in America store. Thanks for coming on. Happy Fourth of July. Yeah, no, thank you, Don. And again, we have madeinamericastore.com if anybody wants to take a look. Around the 4th of July, Americans unfurl their flags and let them fly freely. But most people don't know there's a proper way to fold it and put it away again. NTD's Eileen Ang learns how to fold the flag from a U.S. veteran. When most people see the American flag, they associate it with freedom. But did you know the process of folding a flag has meaning too? 
Richard Kiefer was a pilot during the 1960s. He is now a docent on the USS Hornet Museum, teaching the younger generation about U.S. military history, which includes flag folding. Delivering a flag to the relatives of a fallen service member always carries a story. In my presentation of the flag, I've got some idea of what his service was and how he died. But uh, there is a script that we use that's given to us as a recommendation that basically says we're sorry for your loss, but on behalf of the President of the United States, Secretary of the Navy, Secretary of the Marine Corps, um, we feel your pain. And uh, on behalf of a grateful nation, we'd like to accept the flag uh, for your deceased person. Kiefer recalls his first time folding an American flag. My first case, if you will, was a, uh, a corpsman, a Navy corpsman. So he was embedded with the Marine Battalion in uh, Vietnam and saved, on the day he was killed, saved about 47 of his Marines and died in the same action. Uh, he got a silver star for that. His station had no honor guard at the time, so they had to form one to hold a funeral for the fallen. I'm looking at a young woman who's about 19 years old with a baby he had never seen. Uh, and that was just so tough, and it's very, very vivid in my mind right now. And it was a very, very tough thing for me to get out and choke out. Um, but I managed to get through it okay. Flag folding consists of 13 folds, each with a meaning and a verse. First fold, a symbol of life. Each fold is careful, precise, and aligned. When you finish with the folds, it has to look a certain way. You cannot have any white showing, for example, or red showing on the fold. It all has to be the star field, so, or the canton field or as of the flag, uh, so that it represents the final fold, which is the respect of God. By the 13th fold, it should look like a triangle. Kiefer said the triangle represents the hats the sailors and soldiers wore during the Revolutionary War. The flag would then be presented with both hands to the honor guard, with the long side facing out and the point facing oneself. Kiefer says presenting the point first is disrespectful. Now he educates the public about U.S. history and what freedom means to him. That is something that is given to you by people that died for that for you to have that privilege in this country. Kayla Hurtado, a recent graduate and a teacher, has been fascinated with history since she was young. During the pandemic, she regularly visited the USS Hornet and learned how to fold a flag from Kiefer. It was a very emotional experience and also and, um, as he was teaching me, I was sweating, I was, I was making sure I made the right fold and I, every time I kept getting it wrong, I was like, Richard, what's going on? But he was really patient with me. She finds motivation to get the perfect fold. To me, it's very hard um, because you have to get all the fold, the folds right. But I try to uh, think about the people that I love and the people who serve this country in order for me to motivate me even more to get that fold right. Um, I want to do it for them and for my loved ones as well. Usually, the folding is done in midair with at least two people or six at a grave site. Kiefer says the USS Hornet offers slightly different flag presentations depending on the service requested.
Eileen Ang, NTD News, California. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, a former Chamber of Commerce CEO in California has pleaded guilty to multiple federal charges. His plea comes as part of a string of corruption cases hit the city of Anaheim. A fan at an international basketball game in Australia was prohibited from displaying a Taiwanese flag. NTD's Dave Martin tells us who was behind the decision and why after this short break. Moving now to California, where a former CEO of Anaheim's Chamber of Commerce has pleaded guilty to multiple federal charges. He's facing jail time in federal prison and will also be required to pay back taxes. NTD's Daniel Hall reports. Todd Ament, former CEO and president of Anaheim's Chamber of Commerce, has pleaded guilty to a range of federal charges. Those include tax fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, receiving illegal kickbacks, defrauding COVID-19 pandemic relief funds, and making false statements. According to officials, Ament and an unnamed national public relations consultant laundered funds through the Chamber of Commerce to acquire a home in San Bernardino. Prosecutors said that Ament also received multiple kickbacks from the unnamed consultant. The funds were transferred from multiple banks to the Chamber's bank. In addition, Ament misused COVID-19 small business relief loans. He spent the money on personal items. Ament is scheduled to be sentenced on December 9th. His plea agreement will require him to cooperate with officials and pay $250,000 in back taxes. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, he faces up to 20 years for each wire fraud count, up to 30 years for making a false statement, and three years for tax fraud. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. And California's governor has a new message for Floridians. Come to California. The message aired in a new advertisement that the California governor paid for to run over the July 4th weekend. Here's NTD's Cynthia Kai with what may be driving the message. As Americans are busy celebrating over the July 4th weekend, California Governor Gavin Newsom has been busy running new advertisements in Florida. It's Independence Day, so let's talk about what's going on in America. Freedom is under attack in your state. Your Republican leaders, they're banning books, making it harder to vote. Newsom's advertisement comes as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently signed a handful of new legislation into law. These include a 15-week abortion ban, the most restrictive in the country. Another is the parental rights in education law. This prohibits the discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade classrooms. This isn't the first time Newsom has invoked Florida or DeSantis's policies during election season. For example, during Newsom's 2021 recall election, he criticized conservative policies regarding COVID. NTD reached out to Governor DeSantis's office for comment. Newsom closed his 30-second advertisement by urging Floridans to move to California. Earlier this year, California officials confirmed the state's population declined for the second consecutive year in 2021. And California lost a seat in Congress for the first time after the U.S. Census showed it did not grow as fast as other states. 
And here's an update on that California loitering bill we've been following. Governor Gavin Newsom signed the bill on Thursday. Now California police cannot arrest anyone they suspect is trying to prostitute themselves on the street. Newsom said the bill does not legalize prostitution, but critics say it makes it harder to prosecute crimes related to prostitution, like buying sex and sex trafficking. California is now the largest state to repeal anti-loitering laws. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The All England Club, which is the venue for the Wimbledon Championships, will be appealing a $750,000 fine by the Women's Tour, also known as the WTA. The fine is for not allowing Russian and Belarusian players to participate in tournaments in Britain because of the war in Ukraine. In addition, the Lawn Tennis Association, which is the British Federation for the sport, will also appeal a $250,000 fine by the WTA for not allowing Russian and Belarusian players in grass court tune-up events. The fines were first reported by the Daily Mail. The All England Club announced back in April that following guidance from the British government, Russian and Belarusian athletes would be barred from Wimbledon. Among the players affected were top-ranked men's star Daniel Medvedev and two-time major winner Victoria Azarenka. The men's and women's tours responded by saying they wouldn't award any rankings points for Wimbledon's grass court tournament. On the court today, Australia's Nick Kyrgios outlasted American Brandon Nakashima in five sets to reach the quarterfinals. Nakashima was one of three U.S. men to fall in the fourth round. But fellow countryman Taylor Fritz stopped the losing streak by dropping Jason Murray Kubler in straight sets to reach the quarters. The day was not without a little controversy though, as four activists of the Free Tibet organization wearing Where is Peng Shui t-shirts were stopped by security at Wimbledon and had their bags searched. A similar incident occurred at the Australian Open, where a spectator was removed for wearing such a shirt before the decision was reversed. Peng is a retired Chinese women's tennis player who accused a high-ranking member of the Chinese Communist Party of sexual assault via social media last November. The post was soon removed and Peng dropped from sight for several weeks. In response, the WTA suspended all tournaments in China. Peng then made an appearance at the Olympics in February and denied accusing anyone of sexual assault. The WTA, though, has stuck with their demands of a formal investigation into her allegations and a private meeting with her to discuss the situation. And in international basketball, a fan at a FIBA game in Melbourne, Australia, was prohibited from displaying Taiwan's flag over the weekend. That's according to a report by SBS, an Australian news outlet. Basketball fan Andrew Ferruja says he was stopped by security personnel while trying to enter the arena with a Taiwan flag. Security personnel then produced a list of banned items, including Taiwan's flag, and said the guidance came from FIBA. The game was between China and Taiwan, where China won 94-58. China considers Taiwan part of its own territory, despite the Communist Party never having ruled the island. The regime pressures governments and international organizations against using the name Taiwan. In FIBA competition, Taiwan competes as Chinese Taipei and does not use the traditional flag. FIBA told SBS that the use of flags at games was limited to approved countries and federations. 
The fans said he understood that Taiwan plays under the banner of Chinese Taipei in competition, but does not see why that would prohibit fans from bringing the flag to the game. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And coming up, the Ukrainian president says his country's forces have withdrawn from another city in the Donbas region. He vows to take the city back from Russia. And three people were killed after a gunman opened fire in a mall in Denmark. Several others were wounded. Police arrested and charged a 22-year-old man. That and more coming up on NTD News. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky on Sunday said Kyiv's forces had withdrawn from Lusychansk and the eastern Donbas region, but he vowed to regain control over the area with the help of long-range Western weapons. Here are the details. Russia said its capture of the city of Lysychansk just a week after taking neighboring Severodonetsk secured a political win that meets a key Kremlin goal. Over the weekend, evacuees from the Luhansk region sought shelter in the central Ukrainian city of Dnipro after a relentless assault by Russian forces. Three-year-old Ophelia Bondar escaped Lysychansk with her mother Nina. The city doesn't exist anymore. It has practically been wiped off the face of the earth. There is no humanitarian aid distribution center. It has been hit. The building which used to house the center does not exist anymore, just like many of our houses. Zelensky vowed to regain control over the area with the help of long-range Western weapons. He also met with Western officials on Sunday who promised to send more aid to Ukraine, including Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Australia stands ready to continue to support the government and the people of Ukraine for as long as it takes for Ukraine to emerge victorious in defence of your national sovereignty and your homeland. The battlefield focus now shifts to the neighboring Donetsk region, where Kiev still controls swaths of territory. First responders move to tackle the aftermath of the latest shelling over the weekend. Moscow aims to capture the industrial Donbass heartland that comprises of Luhansk and Donetsk. In a small Ukrainian village, a funeral service was held for a soldier killed in the east of the country. Thousands of civilians have been killed since Russia invaded Ukraine, which Moscow denies. And on Israel, the Biden administration says that Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akleh was likely killed by unintentional gunfire from Israeli positions. The U.S. State Department, though, says that independent investigators could not reach a definite conclusion about the origin of the bullet. Ballistic experts say the bullet was damaged and that prevented a clear conclusion. Abu Akleh, a Palestinian-American, was killed on May 11th during an Israeli raid in the West Bank. Palestinians say the Israeli military deliberately killed Abu Akleh. Israel denies this. It says she may have been hit by errant army fire or by a bullet from one of the Palestinian gunmen who were clashing with its forces at the scene. And in Denmark, police say three people were killed and several more were wounded in a shooting in Copenhagen on Sunday. They arrested a 22-year-old Danish man and charged him with manslaughter. Here's the story. 
Three people were killed after a gunman opened fire in a shopping mall in Denmark's capital, Copenhagen, on Sunday. That's according to Danish police, who said they had arrested a 22-year-old Danish man and charged him with manslaughter. Video obtained by Reuters showed terrified shoppers running away from the mall. Chief Police Inspector Soren Thomason said the suspect acted alone. He said among those killed was a man in his 40s and two young people. He added several others were wounded, some of them in a critical condition. Prime Minister Mitt Fredrickson offered her condolences in a statement. A ceremony for the Tour de France cycle race, the first three stages of which were hosted by Denmark, was cancelled after Sunday's incident. Coming up, an off-road festival in Hungary brought together thousands of motorists and their cars for a few days driving across challenging muddy terrain. And new species of the giant water lily has been identified, and it's the world's largest. Its leaves can support the weight of at least two people. That and more here on NTD News. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. When I got MyPillow, I'm asleep almost immediately. I stay asleep at night and I wake up more well-rested in the morning. That's why I invented MyPillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs and helps keep your neck supported and aligned. I'm interrupting this commercial to bring you my BOGO extravaganza. For example, you get one of my Giza Dream bed sheets and you get a second set absolutely free. Or my six-piece towel sets. Buy one set, get another one absolutely free. Or get my classic premium my pillow and get another one absolutely free. So call the number on your screen or go to MyPillow.com and use your promo code to get my buy one, get one free offers and get deep discounts on all my pillow products. Hungary hosted an off-road adventure for thousands of 4x4 vehicles. The road festival brings together motorists and their cars for a few days driving across challenging muddy terrain. NTD's Andrew Thomas brings us the story. It's mud and mayhem in Hungary. Off-road enthusiasts and their vehicles are in the dirt at the Babode Off-Road Festival. The off-road festival has become one of Europe's most important such events. This off-roader society is a specific micro-community with a specific micro-climate. We just call them the tribes of Babode. Around 1,500 4x4 vehicles and 30,000 visitors spent the second weekend of June sliding through the mud. It's the 36th edition of the event, which is now the biggest off-road car festival in Europe. The festival includes the typical factory-built SUVs, and then there are custom vehicles. I think all off-roaders are a bit like children too. We are living in our childhood, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And today we are realizing our dreams that were important to us back then, in a time when there were no mobile phones, no electric cars, nothing like that. So here it's a bit of the past. It's a playground of the past. One thing you won't see here is electric vehicles. This is a haven for gas engine fans. Anyone who's ever been touched by the smell of gas comes here to be involved in all this fun. This could be the off-roaders' last decade of using their modified gas cars. So while it lasts, they will continue to show their fellow motorists what a machine can achieve on challenging terrain. 
Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And in Japan, amid a record-breaking heat wave, residents in Tokyo are turning to cold desserts to get some relief. NTD's Andrew Thomas has that story. Long lines formed outside Saika, a Japanese shaved-iced restaurant in Tokyo's traditional Asakasa area. Customers waited patiently to eat its signature dessert to stay cool. It's really hot today, so I came here to eat shaved ice. It's very sweet, cold, and delicious. An unusually high number of customers have visited the 10-year-old restaurant this month. I think it's because the rainy season is gone and it's gotten hotter earlier. So that's probably why we have more customers now. Japan braced for its hottest day yet of a record-breaking heat wave. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida called for a ramp-up of nuclear power use. We were going to go on a picnic, but it was too hot and the heat would make us dizzy. So we came here to eat shaved ice, to stay cool. Some manufacturers announced plans to scale back production to save electricity as temperatures of around 104 degrees Fahrenheit were predicted in areas surrounding Tokyo. I can take the heat only when using an air conditioner during the night. But during the day, I need to use both the fan and the air conditioner, otherwise I would perspire. It's really hot. It's the fifth day of a heat wave the worst heat for this time of year since records began in 1875. The Japan Meteorological Agency forecasts Tokyo temperatures won't drop back to 86 degrees Fahrenheit until July 5th. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And finally, scientists at London's Royal Botanic Gardens have discovered a new species of giant water lily, the biggest in the world. And it turns out they already had the plant in their collection for nearly 180 years. Let's find out more from NTD's Eddie Aitken. The world's largest species of giant water lily has been discovered. Specimens of the lily had been sitting in the herbarium at Kew's Royal Botanic Gardens for 177 years. They were thought to be Victoria Amazonica, one of the two previously known species of giant water lily. But Carlos Magdalena, one of the world's leading water lily experts knew they were something different. There is a, a new species on the genus Victoria, which is a very famous and iconic plant, if you like. It's one of the botanical wonders of the world. The new species has been named Victoria Boliviana in honor of Bolivian partners and the South American home of the water lily where it grows in the aquatic ecosystem. With leaves over three meters wide, Victoria Boliviana can support the weight of at least two people. This one, first of all, is the biggest water lily in the world. Uh, there is a record of a path being 3 meters 20. Uh, this is something like 8 square meters of leaf surface. It's, it's humongous. With flowers that turn from white to pink, Victoria boliviana is now the third species of the genus Victoria, named after Britain's Queen Victoria. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.